Seven people aged 13 to 24 are diagnosed with cancer every day. On the 11th of June 2020, I was one of the seven. Four days later, on the 15th of June 2020, I too was one of the seven. And that brings with it a whole host of challenges. These are the stories of what happens afterwards. This is Afterthoughts. The Teenage Years. Hi everyone and welcome back to another episode of Afterthoughts to Teenage Years with me, Shamia and Aidan. Hello Aidan. Hello Shamia, how are you today? I'm good, thank you. How are you doing? I am good, thank you. And I'm also going to introduce in our producer's hot seat, as she likes to call it, it is Alice. Boop, boop. I'm here, hello. She's clutching a satsuma now. Yeah, yeah, I don't know why I've got a satsuma in my hand. It's, it's been on my desk for um, all morning and I haven't eaten it yet. Now I'm just clutching it like a special gift. Well, at least it's not a banana. Oh, quite, absolutely. We have just been chatting to the lovely Maddie who joined us from down under in Australia, which was exciting. She was great, wasn't she? Yeah, I mean, true dedication to the podcast. I think it was, she started recording that at 9pm her time. Mm-hmm. So would have finished about 11pm for her. Um, don't understand how she had that much energy, but yeah, she was incredible. Yeah, we're taking our hats off to her for that dedication. So we can't we wait for you guys to hear. Cork tats. Cork no. tats? Never heard of that? Cork tats, you know, the ones with the dangly corks? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't know they had a name. Didn't know they had a name. I don't know if that's their official name, but... Taking our cork tats off to you, Maddie. <laughs> <laughs> and with that, we'll roll into this episode. Enjoy! Hi everyone, welcome back to another episode of Afterthoughts of the Teenage Years. Today we are joined by Maddie. Hi Maddie. Hello. And with Aidan as well, and Alice in the producing seats. So I think it's important to say that Maddie holds the record for the furthest distance that one of our guests has zoomed in from. So would you like to tell us where you are Maddie and what you're doing? Uh, yeah, I'm on holiday in Melbourne in Australia. That's pretty amazing. That is a long way to zoom in, and that is some serious dedication, Maddie. What's the time there, Maddie? Because we're we're filming this at yeah, a midday UK time. What time is it there? It's twenty past nine. So we're only nine hours ahead. So you're having like a late night podcast session. It's true dedication to afterthoughts. Before you, the furthest we'd had somebody zoom in was from Hawaii. Um, Mm. but yeah, now you have definitely definitely taken the taking the lead so yeah tell us a bit about what you've been doing with your day I uh, had a leisurely morning a nice brunch and then we went off to tour the Melbourne cricket ground uh, and then we went to the beach watched the sunset had some chips and then we've seen a comedy night as it's Melbourne comedy festival at the moment a good day Maddie's just living life to the fullest. That is so dreamy. <laughs> I like went to a lecture this morning and came back and had a potato waffle. And that's about the extent of today's excitement. But you can bring the excitement to this episode, which is awesome. Um, so with that being said, should we roll into quick fire questions? Yeah, sure. I think that was a yes. <laughs> so first up, what pronouns do you use, Maddie? She, her. And Maddie, who do people say you look like? I don't get I don't get comparisons all that often. There's a couple. Um, so, uh, my auntie likes to compare me to Charlotte Church. 
I don't know who that is, if I'm honest. So, oh, oh, and uh, just for the viewers, Alice has looked at me with a uh, face of pure shock and uh, a little bit of disgust there as well. Um, how do you not know who Charlotte... I'm usually... I try to be quiet in the quick fire round, but how do you not know who Charlotte Church is? Anyway, moving on. Sorry. Um, what was the last song you listened to? I haven't listened to music all day, guys. <laughs> oh, For My Lover, Tracy Chapman. Good song. Um, what is your favourite pasta shape? Uh, okay, this is going to sound really snobby. It's called Bucatini. We can pretty much only get it in Rome. And it's like spaghetti, but a bit thicker with a hole through the middle. It's the best. Ooh, and why? Why Bucatini? Uh, I think it, it probably just reminds me of Rome, where I lived in Rome for a bit. And because you can only get it there, but I just, it's got the extra thickness that spaghetti doesn't have. I know, it's good. I've got to try it someday then. Mm-hmm. And what's one thing you can't leave the house without? We're going to assume you've got your phone, your wallet and your keys for this one. Oh, I'm torn. I'm going to say my water bottle. <laughs> Um, and next up, what's something you'd... Oh, that's yours, Aiden. Sorry, sorry. Gosh, trying to steal my line. So uh, what's something you would love to learn? Again, so many things. Um, I've always... I've quite... I like the idea of learning to play the harp. Oh, that's got to be the most unique answer we've had yet. Oh, God, it's, is, there, is there any particular reason or is that, you know, I feel harp reminds me of Rome as well. So is that is there a link there? Oh, no, it was pre-Rome that that started. Um... I've no idea. It's a very like sort of magical. I think it's a kind of fairy like magical world like sound that you can get from it. I just think it looks really cool to play. But I found out they're like thousands of pounds, so that dream is never yeah, come to fruition apparently unfortunately. Oh dear. And this next one's a bit controversial. There is a right answer. So you've got your scone and are you gonna put the jam on first or the cream on first? I love this question because I don't really care either way. But if there is going to be a right answer, I would say cream and then jam, just because it reminds me of butter and jam and butter and marma. You always put the butter first. You never put your butter on top of the jam. So it's that kind of reasoning. Couldn't agree more. Perfect logic. You can stay. I don't like how this podcast has started because of that answer. <laughs> it's the wrong answer. It's jam first. First. Um, but moving on before I get too angry. Um, and if you could summarize your diagnosis in a couple of lines, how would you summarize it? I was diagnosed at 18 with a rare type sarcoma called alveolar soft part sarcoma. We're all bored of telling the diagnosis story, so let's find out what happens next. This is Beyond a Diagnosis. So obviously, I started uni in October so I'd literally known these people for two months it was yeah two nearly three months um but we were quite a close flat of 12 people I think and we made quite close friendships at the time and I everyone knew that I was getting this lump checked out anyway uh because I was wanting to show it off I thought it was cool (laughs) got everyone to touch it um but when it, I so when I was diagnosed, I called my best friend that I'd made at uni, who I lived with in my halls, and told her. Um, and initially, I said, I want to tell everyone myself, 
I want to tell I, I definitely want everyone in the flat to know because I don't think it's fair for them I'm going to be away for a while like everyone deserves to know in hindsight I'm like nobody deserves to know anything but in my head I was like they need to know um yeah so got back to uni and I was kind I was planning on sort of gathering people I actually think she might have gathered people in the kitchen for me I couldn't do it completely freaked out I was I literally couldn't say the words I've cancelled because I think I probably would have ended up bawling but at the time I was like I just can't do it I'm scared and so she actually told everyone for me which was very nice of her um so it meant that on the, that sort of night out everyone was aware and I'd got her to tell them that I didn't really want to talk about it as well again in hindsight probably a bad idea but I think I needed that boundary at the time like day one <laughs> the the boyfriend of the time did not take the news very well he wasn't overly nice to begin with um I expected him to be upset obviously but that Friday really needed him needed his support and needed him there and he'd basically decided that he didn't want to see me and he told me to stop going on about the cancer um that I'd literally been diagnosed with the day before and yeah I did I did have a bit of a meltdown that evening um I also had a sort of school friend visiting me that weekend that was all pre-planned um so I also thought I'd better call her just to give her a heads up before she comes this weekend um that I've just been diagnosed with cancer so it might be a bit of a different weekend to what she was expecting and little did she know (laughs) how uh, messy that night would be um so yeah night out the night after your um cancer diagnosis don't know if I'd recommend (laughs) not when you're 18 maybe In this section, we explore some of the people around us and how our cancer diagnoses can impact them. Yeah, so um, I feel like going on to a more positive note would be uh, to talk about my current boyfriend, who is like an angel in comparison. The main, I feel like the time that I sort of realised that I really could trust him, which is very... Um, a nice thing um, was uh, in second year of uni when I thought um, cancer was giving me a bit of a break because I'd had the tumour removed. Um, I think at this point I did know, so I had um, a nodule or two in my lungs. lungs. Um, they were very small and they weren't really growing, so things were quite stable. I'd passed my first year, I was into my second year, things were kind of going well. And then a scan showed more cancer in my bone, my shoulder. Um, Everything kind of came crashing down. And it was a real sort of hit home that my cancer was never going to go anywhere. It was the first time that a doctor had said to me, this is incurable. Um, And Jacob, my boyfriend, um, basically took the first train to London to come and be with me that evening that I found that out and just sort of cuddled me all evening um just which was just exactly what I needed obviously and we just spoke everything through and had the big 
relationship chat where I said, you know, you can leave me if you want to. In hindsight, now I'm just like crazy. I feel like everyone has those thoughts at some point when you're going through something like that. You're just like, I'm too difficult to be with. It doesn't fare on you. Um, and obviously he was saying all the right things back to me. Um, and then later on when I had to have that surgery, again, in stark contrast, he was there every day visiting me in hospital. One of the days uh, that I was in hospital recovering from my um, second surgery on my bone, um, Jacob had been visiting me every day. And this morning he um, came into hospital to visit me, as he had done the previous days. Um, I think, and I can't remember what, because he definitely didn't just say it outright to me. I found out in some way that there was a football match on um, and he is a season ticket holder for Arsenal. Um, I don't know, Arsenal fans, or maybe it's just him, but Arsenal fans are diehard. And actually, on a side note, when we did start going out, oh no, I don't know if I should say this. Basically, he made it clear to me that football was a bit like his religion. Um, and that football will never leave him. I think you <laughs> get the gist. Um, so I knew going into the relationship that football was first love and um, will be priority. So I guess the fact that he'd come into hospital that day, um, I said, are you going to the match then? Um, and he said, oh, no, I wasn't going to go. I was just going to see how you feel, uh, spend the day with you. Like, it really doesn't matter. Um and I think, I guess it was just seeing that he was willing, yeah, to sacrifice that thing that he really loved to just spend the day with me. And the fact that he'd shown, uh, you know, he'd been there for me the previous days and he'd been there through, like, you know, he'd stayed with me and was just able to offer whatever support I needed. I was, um, yeah, more than happy. I really actually wanted him to go. I was like, please go. And I think that does, as a cancer patient, you do feel like a burden in a way to be able to give someone you love and you know that this has been hard for them too. It must be hard to see someone you love in hospital to be able to give them and be like, please have a nice afternoon. I'll do something fun. Um, yeah, kind of. I think it goes both ways. It was my way of like gifting him back and thanking him for being there for me. Um, can't remember if they won or lost. I hope they won because <laughs> that would make the story even more, even more perfect. Just because you can't see them, it doesn't mean they're not there. This is Invisible Impacts. So the treatment that I am on is called sidirinib. Um, one of the biggest side effects of sidirinib for me personally is uh, diarrhea. And uh, it can be a bit of an embarrassing subject, one that people don't uh, like to talk about or like to hear about even. A lot of people are quite squeamish. Um, it's not like I'm going to be telling you the consistency. <laughs> I just want you to know what's going on in my life. But anyway, um, we all poo every day. I don't know why we can't talk about it. Um, 
but it's a yeah it's a big thing and it's um you wouldn't know that I was suffering with it if I didn't tell you um and um yeah I've got into a lot of sticky situations uh, pun <laughs> intended um and yeah definitely a lot I think I started the drugs in the pandemic and I remember feeling quite comfortable having diarrhea at home and I remember being worried about starting to go out more and getting stuck in public with it and not being near a loo um a couple of suggestions were offered to me like having the Macmillan card that says I need urgent access for a toilet rather than to say I have cancer let me in um and also having like a radar key which gives you access to disability toilets um but one uh horrible uh situation that happened recently I uh, wasn't feeling well all day so I kind of knew it was probably going to be a diarrhea evening <laughs> there is no pattern to this um either it just comes on whenever it feels like it and with normally not very much warning this day I was feeling quite unwell it was Friday I was in the office because I work in an office some days and I had a Taylor Swift night planned Swiftageddon, don't know if anyone's heard of it, but they just play Taylor Swift songs all night for like eight hours, it's great. And we've literally booked these tickets like five months in advance. Uh, so I was not missing out. And I don't like to miss out just because I'm having side effects. If, if I can, I have had to cancel in the past, but I was like, I'm not canceling this. Headed out took some Imodium on the way because I just thought I'm going to hold this off if I can. Um, Imodium stops the sort of diarrhea. I don't actually know how it works, but most people have heard of it. Um, but sure enough, as soon as I got to Liverpool Street Station, the first 15 minutes of my night started. <laughs> uh, managed to get through that. It's all right. I did my makeup and the toilet. It was fine. Uh, no shame at all. Uh, then headed to the bar where my friends were grief drinking. Um, got ordered myself a drink. Uh, had my next bout of diarrhea. Uh, go downstairs to the toilet. Again, it's fine. I'm out. I'm going to have a good night. I know it will stop eventually. Um, but this was a particularly bad night. And I was sitting on the toilet for a really long time. Every time I got up, I was back again. Um, even though I was taking Imodium every time. And there was, yeah, it was quite a long period just in the toilet. And you can imagine it was a public toilet with lots of cubicles, lots of uh, girls and women coming in, drunk people on a Friday night. They don't have a filter. Um, so this is where I started to panic, people coming in, and I knew a smell was starting. I'm not going to go too TMI. That's as much as I'll go into detail. A smell. I could smell it. I was like, I'm sure other people can smell it, but I can't help it. It's not my fault. Um, first girl comes in. She goes, oh, someone's done a poo-poo. <laughs> I thought, that's quite funny, you know. I could take that. Someone has done a poo-poo. That's fine. <laughs> but I was still in the toilet. I was on my phone. I was like texting my friend. She's like, are you okay? I'm like, Someone's just come in and said someone's done a poo-poo really loud. Yeah, it's cool, I'll be fine. Um, another five minutes pass. More girls come into the toilet, and this one was less funny. The girl comes in and, and she goes, Oh, stinks in it! 
And that's when the sort of like anxiety rash starts. So I'm like, what, what am I going to, this is horrible. She then comes into the cubicle next to me and she doesn't stop. Like, Guys, it stinks. Oh, someone's done a, I'm allowed to swear, the S word. <laughs> uh, someone's done a shit. I was like, this is fabulous. She's in the cubicle next to me. Uh, shaming me, essentially. Um, and what was the worst thing she said? She said, oh, if someone's got diarrhoea, like, why don't you just go outside and shit in a bucket? Like, why would you do it in here? It was literally, I just started texting my mum. I was like, I can't, can't handle this. Mum obviously was like, just go out there and tell them you're on cancer treatment. <laughs> like, no, mum, I just want to enjoy my evening. Um, I did want to go home at that point. I was like, I can't take any more of this. But um, I didn't, didn't let the poo shamers win. And I managed to have a good night. I didn't have loads. I still managed a bit of alcohol, which is impressive. Um, and I had a good few hours at Swift again. And it was a great time. Uh, so, yeah, basically, don't let the haters win. <laughs> um, but I think it's just a case of like I'm probably you know we've all probably said oh what's that smell and not thought that someone might have a condition that's causing it and then embarrassing them um and it's that that whole thing of like oh if you if you're disabled or if you've got why don't you just stay at home it's almost that like you don't belong here because there's something wrong with you In Teenage Kicks, we explore the things those of us who've had cancer experience that others our age might not. From near the beginning, I knew that my diagnosis was, my cancer was incurable, which meant that my death was something that I had to think about, which a lot of people my age um, wouldn't have had to think about yet or worry about, or most people think that getting to old age is given pretty much they sort of plan for that they plan for their retirement and having grandkids and so from like 18 19 I sort of knew that that was very 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 unlikely so I obviously know I'm I'm in a reasonably stable position I kind of have been lucky I've had ups and downs but I've never been in a position where I thought I was going to die soon um the prognosis for my cancer isn't like amazing but there are people that live decades, you know, have spent a long time processing the fact that I might die young and I've had to come to terms with that. And that's quite a difficult thing to come to terms with. Um, but I do feel quite uh, open to it now. Not open to death, Jesus. Uh, <laughs> but I'm accepting the fact that it happens to all of us. Um, and so obviously... Uh, writing a will is something that anyone with wishes or things that they want to leave behind is uh, something that we all um, should do before we die. Makes things easier for the people that are left behind. Um, so I knew that I would want to do it at some point. Um, I am now seven and a bit years down the line from my cancer diagnosis. Um, I think I'm just a, a very accepting point now and I'm at a stable point of my disease I maybe I've got other like cancer friends that have done it and 
I follow a lot of charities and I knew there was a way that if you wanted to donate some money to charity that you could get your will written for free. So I just thought, why not? Um, so I have actually done that. Um, I thought I want to give a gift in my will. Um, so I contacted that charity and got it sort of the ball, the ball rolling from there. Um, I've never seen it as a sad thing. Um, even though people around me are going, oh God, is there like something going on? I'm like, no, just why wouldn't I write a will? I've got things. I've now, I'm now I've got things to leave behind, and I want to make sure that I'm, you know, my body is the done like they do what my body that I want to happen to it and things. And like, why wouldn't I do it now in a period where I'm actually more stable, rather than wait till. I'm told I've got a couple months to live. I don't want to spend my last couple months organising my death. I would like to spend it with my family. Um, so, yes, I've done that. I've written it. I've actually, just before I came away on my holidays, I got a couple of my friends to witness it, which was actually a really nice moment. Um, and not as weird as you might think it was. It was literally just, I need a couple of witnesses you guys know me. Um, they were actually really happy <laughs> to sign it. They were actually all like jumping, like, yeah, yeah, I'll sign it. <laughs> it's hard to pick two. Um, and even though there was a bit of sadness and some people have said some awkward things about it, like, oh yeah, when I when I need to write my will, <laughs> I'm like, we all we all could do with writing one. There's no why are you waiting? Um, and I think because one of my friends said, oh, isn't this a bit morbid? And I literally was like, no, this is actually, I feel so happy to have done this. I feel like I've taken control and I've got this sorted and I feel like relieved and it's empowering. And it's really like, yeah, we all die. I'm not scared of it. And I don't want you guys to be scared of it either. Um and funnily enough, they all, they all said, as you've asked us to be witnesses, we assume we're not included in the will. It's <laughs> like, so guys, I don't have that much to leave. Most of it's going to charity. So, but I can add you in later. <laughs> from apes and Neanderthals, from us pre-cancer to post-cancer, Evolutions explores how we change. Yeah, okay, I guess I was scared to talk openly about my cancer because I was scared of upsetting people. I was scared people would pity me. Um, I think a lot of people experience those feelings that you don't want to be pitied. Um, I think all I wanted was some understanding, but I was too scared to that I would get the opposite, um, which meant yeah, I was holding out quite a lot in. Um, it was actually Sarcoma Awareness Week, and I was sharing posts throughout the week, but just general posts. So I was resharing other people's posts. I was telling people to check their bodies. And like, I wasn't getting much um, interaction um, on the posts. Like, not many people were viewing them, not many people were liking them. Uh, you know, people sort of skipped past them. And I did think, I know what will, what will draw people in. Because most of the people I had on like Facebook were old school friends. Um, old school acquaintances um I knew sharing my personal story would 
mean that people would actually look and listen. Uh, so at that point, I got my sister to take some photos of my scars and um, wrote a blog post, not well, a, a big Facebook post basically. Um, I explained that I was diagnosed, explained that I didn't want pity. Uh, so again, with the boundaries, just making sure that um, I wasn't getting anything that I was uncomfortable with. You're always going to get the odd comment that you're not happy with. You can't control what people write, but at least saying like, please, I don't want pity. I don't want you to feel sorry for me. I just want you to tell someone about sarcoma or donate. Um, so I posted that and it got loads of likes and loads of comments. And it felt really good to have got the word out. And I guess that was um, a good start to sharing my experiences. Um, and the other thing that was sort of a motivation to wanting to share more was just the fact that I like, felt so alone with it, being a young person with a rare diagnosis as well, um, and also being incurable. So I felt like I didn't fit into any group. Um, quite often you have like the young teenagers and then you have the young adults. So I didn't fit into either of those groups. And then you get people who um, are cured or going to remission and then their treatment's finished. And then the group of people who were like, dying and I was just I do not fit into any group and I felt so alone and also the treatments that I on like nobody's ever heard of um even down to you know you type in things too and you can't find personal experiences everything is so medical um like I, I was invited for a pre-op assessment and I was like what does that involve and you can't find it anywhere um, you go, I wanted to just hear someone's story of what happens. Um, and there were loads of things like that. So I thought um, about it for quite a long time, about starting my own blog, where I would share my personal stories so that if anybody uh, wanted to read about that, that they could. Uh, it just took me a long time to get there and to get the confidence. Um, and I don't really know what it was probably a combination of things that made me did made me start it um but I did eventually start it a couple years after diagnosis um in Rome where I was studying abroad so maybe it was just the sort of feeling of being pre-spirited and <laughs> I don't know living my best life and maybe had some spare time and the girls I was living with were very like supportive and encouraging I guess I've probably spoken to them about the idea a few times um I was just worried about people reading, me being too open and scaring the people close to me. Um, this actually ended up, yeah, being the best thing for me because, um, yeah, I'm a talker. <laughs> it's the only way I will process and, like, be okay is to actually just talk things out or write things down and then share it for <laughs> whoever bothers to read it. But it's so cathartic and it's just helped me process so much. With cancer we know there can be really high highs and very low lows. In this section we explore some of those lighter moments. It's Don't Laugh. This is the one I've been struggling with all day. I'm like I don't, I can't, I don't have any funny stories. Almost, 
I've got too many stories that could also just be really awkward and sad <laughs> that I find funny. Uh, I was working at a pub. I hadn't told them about my cancer at this point. I think it wasn't that long ago. It was only a couple of years ago. I just, well, pre-pandemic, actually, working in the pub. I just wanted to just live a bit with be, not be a cancer patient, basically. So I don't need to tell them. Um and we, it was kind of a quiet day. We were by, three of us behind the bar, probably polishing some glasses or something. And I think, think I'd brought up the conversation about dementia and how scary it is that like so many people are diagnosed with it, but we don't really talk about it. And I thought it was right. I don't know what the statistic is, but I brought it up. And then my colleague said, well, one and two of us are going to get cancer in our lifetime. <laughs> and I was like, huh. Yeah, no, that's true too. Huh? Um, and one of the colleagues said, well, Bagsy, not me. <laughs> and the other colleague said, Bagsy, not me. And I was left. Uh, and <laughs> We've all absolutely had those moments of like, you think something's just like absolutely hilarious. And then like people, yeah. you know, like cancer muggles, if you will, are just like, you can't laugh at that. That's like such dark humor. It's like, <laughs> exactly. Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> Yeah, oh, I, had a, so I had a friend we were watching one of those adverts where it's like one in three people are gonna get um cancer and it was me and two other mates and one of my mates just turned around and went thanks Aiden for taking the hits uh, but friends that can laugh with you like that's the best I, my best friends are the ones that can make jokes about my cancer like at this point uh, did you take it well Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I was. Oh, Yeah, wasn't just like crying at the corner. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's amazing. That is, that's brilliant, Maddie. Um, and so with that, we've got the end of this episode, which has been great. So thank you so much for coming along. Thank you for having me. And what are your plans for the rest of the evening in Australia? Uh, yeah. So it's twenty two eleven at night. Well past my bedtime, so I'm gonna have a shower and go to bed. <laughs> Nice. Well, enjoy that, Mally. Enjoy the rest of your holiday. It's been great to have you. So take care. We'll see you soon. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Right. So that was our chat with Maddie. That was fantastic, wasn't it, Aidan? Yeah. I mean, a real blend of some absolutely, I mean, laughing, uh, laughing my ass off stories. Yes, that's the phrase I want. Laugh my ass off stories, um, but also some great, powerful stories. I thought it was really great how she just had such openness with, you know, some really quite hard-hitting topics, but also just lots and lots of laughs in there. I honestly think she could take on a slot of the Apollo. Oh, definitely. Um, I can definitely, I can walk down there and see if they do. I live near the Apollo. Do your listeners? Probably shouldn't have revealed that, but it's out there now. No, but yeah, I mean, Again, the way she delivered those stories, incredible. Um, but also the way she deals with some of those topics, as you said, was just mind-boggling. Um, yeah, and the the fact she's just living life to the fullest, like, you know, the day she'd had in Australia, you know, even in this last 24 hours before she spoke to us, I was just like, wow, you're really, you're just, you're just smashing it. You're living your best life. Yeah, um, and on that note, Shamia, what are your afterthoughts on today's episode of Afterthoughts? My afterthoughts on this episode are that we should all be just a bit kinder. I think I think Maddie just said, you know, we should all be a bit nicer. And I think lots of the topics she touched on made me think about how we think about cancer kind of on the outside. Um, and just how everyone's experiences are individual. We shouldn't be judgmental. 
um, and just stop and think about how other people feel really. Um, so yeah, just everyone should be kinder. What are your afterthoughts on this episode of Afterthoughts, Aidan? I think my afterthoughts is to just deal with stuff however you feel comfortable dealing with it. You know, Maddie uh, felt that talking about it um, you know, really helped her, and especially you know, doing the will and things like that. I think it's really important that, you know, just do you, do whatever works for you. Don't let anyone, you know, tell you uh, how to live your life um, because ultimately you're going to do what's best for you. Absolutely agree. Preach this. <laughs> Um, so with that one that's the end of another episode I hope you all enjoyed this one and we'll see you soon bye bye if today's episode of Afterthoughts has brought up any thoughts or feelings that you'd like to speak to someone about we really recommend catching up with a friend or dropping them a message there are a whole host of charities out there if you've experienced cancer and want to get some extra support Thanks so much to Teenage Cancer Trust for supporting Afterthoughts, the teenage years. Supporting teens and young adults diagnosed with cancer in the UK, the work they do is incredible. Find out more at teenagecancertrust.org and check out their socials. This series has been hosted by Aidan Grant and Shamia Kularajan and produced by Alice May Perkis and Toby Peach from Beyond Arts. Sound design is by Dinah Mullen and Kieran Lucas.